<clears throat> Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy 3. Uh, every October, our congregation nominates men for the office of elder. Uh, you may or may not know there are different types of church government. The one that many of you may have grown up with has a main pastor and a board of deacons and then all the decisions kind of made at the congregational level, um, which means a lot of congregational meetings. Another one would be like a hierarchical form of government, like the Episcopal Church or uh, the Catholic Church. And another form of government is elder-led, typically called a Presbyterian form of government because the biblical, uh, the Greek word for elder is presbyteros, and so it's just plurality of elders, uh, Presbyterian. Although we're not technically a Presbyterian church, that's... You get what I'm saying. Uh, We could talk more about the differences of those uh, forms of government, but that's really not our purpose today. Uh, Our purpose is to talk about the nominating and electing of church elders. So even within elder-led churches, there are different ways that you can go about getting your elders. Um, Our congregation nominates them, and uh, we have until Saturday, October 31st, to nominate them. I have a bunch of these uh, blue cards, and so you can come get one on your way out. I'll try to remember to put them back there. Uh, but that's kind of the, you know, it gives you all the information. And a lot of the information we're going to go over today, it has the passages here on here that you can work through yourself, uh, and some of the kind of distinctives on the back, things to know. Um, basically, someone has to get 10 votes in order to go on the ballot. And they'll be nominated throughout this month. You can nominate as many, whoever you want to, um, men that you believe fit the qualifications that we're going to look at today. If you get 10 votes, you go on the ballot, and then the month of November is really about getting to know the candidates, and there will be a congregational meeting the beginning of December to vote on the elders. Five men will be added Uh, to the session, session just the Board of Elders. And then those elected will begin a three-year term in January. Uh, So our elders serve for three years on, and then they have to do one year off. Um, It's just nothing, uh, it's just the way they've decided to do it. Again, it's the members of Grace of Anne that nominate men for elder. That happens the month of October. Not only do we nominate them, we elect them. That will happen in a congregational meeting. Uh, any questions about that so far? How many do we have total? Uh, something like 12. We, we actually have had 12 for years. We added number 13 last year. Number 14 will be added this year. Number 15 will be added this year. And then we expect to be stable at 15 for a number of years. And Jeff is an elder, so you know anyone that has questions, you just <laughs> go right there. Um. So, who should we nominate? I think it's just good to go through this this time of year, every year. Uh, Do we nominate men that are really involved in the church? Have been for years? Do we nominate men that are successful? Do we nominate men that are good leaders elsewhere? Even uh, maybe, you know, in the business world. So, we figure that they're good leaders there, so they'll be good leaders here. 
Uh, do we nominate men that we think would be good for the job? You know, not really necessarily for any of those things, not that those things are bad, uh, but the Bible gives us a specific list of characteristics that we're to be looking for in these men. Uh, God has really taken the guesswork out of it. It's not a subjective matter. He gives us an objective couple of lists in First uh, Timothy and Titus. And our job is simply to study the criteria and locate the men that God describes in His Word. Uh, there are two places that we find these descriptions of an elder. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And I'm going to read both lists, uh, starting 1 Timothy 3, verses 1-7. through 7. This is the Word of God. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone or if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Turn over to Titus, just a few pages to the right. Titus 1, verses 5 through 9. Titus 1, 5-9. through This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Amen. Uh, First thing you might notice is the word overseer is used as well as the word elder. Uh, They're used interchangeably here in this Titus passage. And so, while they're different words, they're really referring to the same thing. We can see that again in Acts chapter 20, uh, when Paul addresses the Ephesian elders, he says, um, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And then there's this long discourse uh, when he's addressing the elders. And it says... uh, He said to them, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Again, we see elder overseer used interchangeably. Um, So back to these other passages. Again, uh, these descriptions were given by God in order to identify the men that He has called to serve as elders. Our job is to study the qualifications and identify the men that fit the bill. I want to break these qualifications down. Uh, I'm glad to send this over to you if you think it's helpful, the copy of my notes or whatever. But again, you can just find the passages here on these blue cards and study them for yourself. 
Um, the first thing is elders are to be men. Um, I think that is pretty clear in those passages, just all the references to he and him and all that. Uh, we could spend some time in discussion here because there are many in the church throughout the world that disagree that elders are only to be men, but it kind of be wasting our time today because the only nominations that will be accepted here are nominations of men. So uh, anyway, if you're interested to talk more about that, we can. Number one, elders are men. Number two, uh, there is an overarching quality of these men. It's mentioned in both passages. It is that they are above reproach. Uh, And really the way to think about it is an elder is to be above reproach in all of the things that are mentioned. Um, Some translations say blameless. There are two words in the New Testament used for blameless. One means like without blemish, uh, perfect. And another means without blame or unaccused. And that's the one that's used there in in 1 Timothy and Titus. Uh, When we say that someone is without blemish, we're talking about our future perfected state in glory. We will be perfected. We will be without blemish, without sin. Um, Certainly no elder is without sin. But all elders are to be above reproach, to be unaccusable. You you can't get them on anything in terms of all of these qualifications. Um, They fit the bill. You know, I think sometimes we dumb down above reproach to mean like a little better than the rest or something like that. But really, uh, it's more than that. We don't have these qualifications to say, you know, some people meet 75%, some meet 50 and we'll go with the one that meets more. Uh, really is God's intention that the men that we select meet all of these criteria. So elders are to be men above reproach and we can really gather all of the the. Uh, list into three main groups. Number one, above reproach in marriage and family life. Uh, Number two, above reproach in character and conduct. Number three, above reproach in his understanding and handling of the scriptures. So we'll break those down. Uh, Above reproach in marriage and family life. Both passages say that this is to be a husband of one wife. Now, uh, at present, our church has taken that to mean that a man cannot be divorced and be an elder. Um, There are other interpretations out there. Um, I personally, respectfully, tend to lean towards a different interpretation of that, but it doesn't really matter what I think. Uh, That's just not our position at this point. And so again, um, you know, we should just know as we look to nominate a man for the office of elder that That's our stance right now, is that a man uh, cannot be an elder if he's been divorced. Uh, The next thing we see is that he must manage his own household well. (coughs) Kind of two qualifiers in that. With dignity, keeping his children submissive and under control. Uh, With dignity, you know, he's worthy of honor and respect in his home. You could go and ask his wife. You could go and talk to his children if they're old enough to talk and uh, his wife and kids respect him you know they're glad to follow his lead Um, keeping his children submissive and under control it goes on to say if he can't manage his own household how's he going to manage God's church you know that's really the logic he's a good leader at home and um, he's looked to for his leadership he's loved and respected he's doing well with his responsibilities at home and it shows in that his children follow his lead Uh, Not only that, but in the Titus passage, it also says that his children are believers uh, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. 
So, um, this doesn't mean we need to be able to see into their hearts. It just means we need to be able to take their confession at face value. They claim to be believers. They, their life matches their confession. And uh, I would say that these, this principle is more difficult to apply uh, for a couple reasons. Number one, what do you have to do? What do you do with a man who has children who are young and um, they're maybe barely talking, or they're just you know single digits and uh, hardly able to articulate a profession of faith? Uh, certainly, I think we can still see that this man is managing his household well. But what about this requirement that his children must be believers? Um, I'm sure that some would say that he shouldn't be nominated because of that. I wouldn't say that. Uh, I would just say that his children are young. Uh, it doesn't say that your children have to be grown to be an elder. I think this is talking about if your children are grown. But I'm not your conscience, and you have to think through these issues for yourself. Uh, the way I think about a man who has younger kids is, is he managing his household well? Uh, do his wife and children follow his lead? Is he discipling his children to know and love the Lord? Um, those sort of things. In another scenario, and uh, I bring this up because you know Jeff is an elder and we regularly pray for Jeff's son, Robbie, who we would say at this point is not a believer. And so, but you know, Robbie was adopted when he was how old? When he was eight years old, he was a Romanian orphan, and uh, he was adopted. And so, what do you do with that? What do you, you have a, this child who's now 25 years old? He's open to the charge of debauchery. You know, um, again, if there's someone in good conscience that couldn't nominate or vote for Jeff, I wouldn't bind your conscience. But as for me, I try to look at the bigger picture. You know, uh, does this? Do you have other children? Are they believers? And uh, not to mention, I think that you would adopt an orphan says something about character and conduct, which is really what we're looking for. So, um, all to say, it's not always black and white. Uh, There are issues here that, you know, it's kind of hard sometimes to apply the Scriptures, and we just have to come to understand these principles. And when it's not so cut and dry, we just ask the Lord to guide and lead us and apply it in good conscience. Um, Go ahead. How did grace arrive at Um, honestly probably Dr. Young said this is what we're going to do and that's how it arrived or with like 25 the, years like when the church yes started. and I've heard him talk about that and I don't think he's super dogmatic about that they just said this is where we're applying that right now and um, the issue is allow someone to be divorced, then you've got to go dive into what were the circumstances of that divorce, was it a biblical divorce, you know, then do you go back and talk to that ex-spouse to find out what they're real, I mean, it can get really messy and very ugly very quickly, mm-hmm. and then you, you you often just end up, uh, he said, she said, mm-hmm. and, you know, you, you open up a lot of wounds, and it's, it. It's just easier, frankly, to mm-hmm. not go there. So, yeah, that's that's my little exposure to it, having been on the session the past three years. And I'm sure Jimmy could give you a more exhaustive reason for that. But that's that's the uh, that's the short summary of that. 
All right, so that's marriage and family moving into above reproach in character and conduct. It says uh, in Titus, an elder is not arrogant. Uh, you know, here again, it doesn't mean he doesn't sin, doesn't mean he doesn't struggle with pride, but there's a difference between a convicted sinner struggling with pride and a prideful, arrogant man. Not quick-tempered, uh, you know, no room for hotheads on the session. Not violent or quarrelsome. Uh, of course, this excludes a man that would, like, beat his wife and children. But also, um, you know, just people that like to pick fights. I mean, people that are going to nitpick and quarrel at every little thing. And it's just, uh, there's a lot to get done, and that's certainly not a welcome uh, characteristic. Uh, not greedy for gain, not a lover of money. Uh, about that, I would say it doesn't matter how rich a man is. It doesn't matter how many resources a man has. The question is really, is he a good steward of his resources? Um, does he have hold of his resources, or do his resources have hold of him? And I think that it is perfectly reasonable, and we should go to someone that we're thinking about nominating or electing for elder and say, do you give? Um, how much, you know? Are you sacrificial with your resources? Um, is this man content with what he has? Is he caught up in the love of riches? I mean, you know, again, these things can be hard to locate sometimes, but it's worth asking these personal questions. Later in First Timothy, it says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires, and plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. Money is not evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. And uh, an elder must not be greedy for gain. He must not be a lover of money. Next, uh, sober-minded. You know, is he wise and measured, or is he foolish and reckless? Um, about this, men are not qualified to be elders because they're good businessmen, but it shouldn't surprise us that our elders would be good businessmen. Uh, They know how to chart a good direction over the long haul. Self-controlled and disciplined, elders are hard workers, and not only at work, but also in the spiritual life. Uh, It's worth asking someone you're thinking about nominating for elder to just describe a personal devotional life. What's your life in the word and prayer like? You know, if he says he's awesome at it, then don't vote for him. But, uh, you know, just uh, trying to get a pulse for um, where we are. Not a drunkard. This does not mean that he can't drink. It just means that he's not a drunk. Uh, a lover of good. You know, he just loves God's Word. He loves the truth contained therein. He loves the call on our lives to serve the Lord, and, uh, and he's living according to it. Uh, gentle, not violent, but gentle. You know, elders get themselves in the middle of big messes sometimes, and uh, oftentimes that can be with someone who has just ruined their life in sin and probably particularly vulnerable uh, this person needs to have a pastoral bent to them and just able to compassionately walk alongside someone uh, who has just ruined their life. Peaceable. Um, there are a lot of conflicts in the church. 
and again, there's a certain way that an elder needs to have about him to be able to chart a firm direction and be out front and lead, but he also must be able to get in the middle of a conflict and establish peace. Uh, upright or just, he, he wants to see things carried out fairly. Holy and devout. You know, simply put, these men are set apart. Um, it, it shouldn't be too hard to identify them, and uh, they're men of God. Hospitable. Uh, says that in both passages. These men are compassionate. They like to share their lives with other people. And as we've talked about in here a number of times, biblical hospitality is not only, uh, you know, having someone for dinner, but, I mean, you, it shouldn't surprise us that an elder has even extended, opened their home to someone for an extended period of time. Um, not a recent convert. Here's another one where it's like, okay, so what does that mean? I don't really know. How many years? I, I don't know. But... Um, it's easier for a recent convert to be proud and, you know, look what I've done. Uh, you go at this Christian life for a little while and you realize it's not anything about what I've done. doesn't mean he needs to have been at it for 25 years, but uh, I would say a good, you know, many years of growth and maturity. Uh, an elder is to be respectable, well thought of by outsiders. You could shoot his co-workers an email and uh, ask, you know, what do you think about so-and-so, and you would hear good reviews. And finally, above reproach in understanding and handling the Scriptures. Uh, says an elder is able to teach. So every man that we would nominate for elder uh, should be able to take a passage of Scripture and teach it in context. And in order to do that, he's going to have to understand at least something of the general framework of the Scriptures. Um, you know, he has to know what the Bible means and have some ability to teach it. Now, he may not be gifted like Dr. Young to stand up in a pulpit in front of hundreds of people and teach it, uh, but he can open his Bible, sit across from someone, and teach them a passage of Scripture. Every elder is able to teach the Word of God. He must hold firm to the trustworthy Word as taught, a couple qualifiers there, so that he would be able to give instruction and sound doctrine so that he would be able to rebuke and refute those who contradict it. So here again, um, an elder needs to know enough about the Bible to be able to teach it himself. Uh, He also needs to be able to identify false teaching to defend the Word of God against false doctrine. Uh, Not only that, but he needs to have a backbone. You know, He needs to have a firm constitution to be able to identify wolves amongst the sheep and stare down the wolves and chase them off holding firm to the trustworthy Word of God, able to instruct, able to refute. All right, this is a lot, I know. Uh, Again, you're like, how am I going to remember? But the list is in there for you, and uh, you can search through it yourself. We don't need to take this lightly. You know, I think the Lord has given us an extremely high call as members of this congregation to nominate and elect uh, men for the office of elder. Few men qualify. Um, it's incredibly important to seek to be faithful to God in all things, including nominating and electing the, the right men. Um, I would also say it's also up to those who are nominated to examine themselves and uh, prayerfully consider what God you know, has done in your life and if He has indeed equipped you and called you to serve. Um, I... I once heard someone say to me, and I think I said this last year when we talked about this, but uh, I once heard someone tell me that it is my Christian duty to vote in a presidential election. 
Uh, I don't think that's true. I think that's overstated. And uh, I can't tell you that it's your Christian duty to get involved and vote in this election. But I will say this. In the scales of heaven, I believe that this election ought to outweigh, significantly outweigh, the presidential election in our hearts and minds every time. The United States is not the bride of Christ, but the church is. And he, God has given us an extremely high call to participate in examining uh, and uh, you know, electing the men that will serve. Let me pray, and then we'll have time for questions and thoughts. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, Lord. Uh, we do pray that you would put your men in office, and we pray that you would organize our thoughts and convictions to locate those men. Uh, Lord, even men from our group, uh, if there are those that, that you have called, would you help us to identify them and, uh, and know that. Uh, we thank you for the men that you've put there now, uh, men like Jeff who have served and give uh, their heart and soul to leading this church, and I do pray that you would continue to raise up godly men. Uh, we pray that you would help us to find your men. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Anybody have questions about that? Jessica. Jeff, why are they increasing the number? I'm sorry? Why are they increasing the number? Well, I think it's because the uh, one one aspect of this is that the church population is growing too. And we are involved in, in the good and the bad and the ugly things of the church. And it just takes more men to, to serve a growing body. And I've heard Dr. Young say that he wanted it expanded so that some younger guys could serve. Now, I don't know if that will materialize, but he to the staff, he has been crisp. Get your guy. I'm like, what do you want me to do? You know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he wants just, younger guys to serve. Uh, not just younger, but just so many qualified men. Yeah. So 12 does limit the number of. Uh, yeah. Oppositions. Aaron. Once elders are elected, is there any type of training to say that this is your duty, this is what you're supposed to be? I don't know. Uh, there is. There is. It's more of a you know, church policy and you know, how, how things are run here, not only the government, but just just human resource hiring practices, you know, because the elders are involved in hiring and unfortunately firing as well. You know, so we need to have unity on those things. So there's training in the mechanics of the church, of course. And uh, each uh, each session meeting, there is a, a doctrinal uh, lesson of some kind, you know, to sharpen ourselves in Scripture. The session's always going, like our staff, we're always reading books together, and Dr. Young leads those discussions and studies. He does the same with the session. So. Can a staff member be an elder? No. Uh, and a couple of just the, like the quirks in our particular church, you have to be 35. Why? That's just what they said. You have to be 35. Uh, As an elder, to be an elder. That's what they consider Oh, and you cannot be a staff member and be an elder. You cannot have been a staff member recently, like within the last year, and be an elder. You cannot be a monthly supportive missionary and be an elder. 
there's some of those things. Live with a ministerial staff or like be closely related, right? Can't be a relative. So, for instance, Steve Austell uh, was an elder for a long time. Kyle Jacobson married his daughter. Steve is now not able to serve on the session. You know, and again, those things are just, they're trying in wisdom to say, hey, we don't want this to be the good old boys club. We're going to kind of make some tweaks here and there. Anyway. Chris, several years ago, Dr. Harry mentioned multiple times from the pulpit that he did not think that men with young children should be nominated. Mm -hmm. I completely disagreed with him then, but unfortunately with him saying that, everybody, Mm -hmm. I think, just thought, well, then, yeah, if he doesn't think so, then I won't nominate. Has his position changed on that? I would say a definitive yes, just based on conversations he's had with me, but I was not aware of that. Someone said that to me recently, and... um, I'm going to mention that to him yeah. just to say, hey, you know, if your position on that has changed, it's worth saying at some point because people remember that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he, I, I was not here at that point, but a few it years was, ago. It was, it was years ago. Yeah. But still. Based on that comment, um, like, don't, let's not take this the wrong way, but does it really matter what Dr. Young thinks in that? Our conscience says so-and-so as a young child, but I believe. No. Um, He's not the ultimate. No. Exactly. He just sways public opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that Elaine's point is is that people remember that and they're not, you know, maybe they're afraid. But my point is. Yes. And that's a good, you know, in fact, um, yeah. He's not our conscience, and he has certain things that he would apply some way, and we would say that's not the way we would apply them, and that's fine. You know, um, at the same time, uh, I do think it would be helpful for him to clarify that because I don't get the sense in conversations he's had with me that that's his desire at this point. So I've never heard him say that. Per- I mean, I wasn't here probably then when he said that. I've never heard him say that recently. Yeah. So, so but it is one of those things where he could have said it. He could have forgot yeah. that he said it. Yeah. <laughs> Likely. Yeah. He is. He's on his last leg. <laughs> Kidding. No, it's not a Jimmy Young run session either. Uh, right. On that. He, he, we have lively discussions, and I'll, I'll say that he doesn't always get what he wants, as no one on the session always gets what they want either. So there's a lot of give and take and, and prayer and, and, and hard discussions. And, and that's part of the genius of the plurality of elders you know there's a bunch of godly men together making decisions and like i said need to be able to have a backbone i mean you have to have at least half a backbone to say i don't agree you know yeah. and uh, i think uh, a part of us taking it seriously as members is <coughs> that something rubbing us the wrong way can't necessarily mean decisions based on that. We really need to have a biblical mindset. And if you disagree with Dr. Young, have a biblical defense of that disagreement. And uh, Dr. Young, like you said, is not our conscience, but the Holy Spirit is, and we've got the Word to help us make these decisions. So, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily well, I don't like the sound of that, but what does the Bible tell me about That's right. the way that this should be? Yeah, and you know, um, I can tell you that he'd be the first to tell you that. I mean, Study the scriptures and uh, come to your own conclusions, and you know it's part of our freedom and opportunity in Christ.
A couple things I'll say too, and if you have other thoughts or questions, but to all the men, uh, whether or not you are going to be called to serve as elders, we all ought to seek to be the men described in these passages. Uh, so for all of us, we need to examine ourselves. We need to confess our sin where this exposes our sin. And it's going to be needed often. And we need to pray that God would give us grace to be a biblical elder whether or not we ever serve on a session. Uh, and another thing, the First Timothy passage opens by saying, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Um, on the one hand, I think we ought to ask someone that we're thinking about nominating, do you want to be on the session? And if he's kind of squirrely, and you know, just move on. I mean, is there not a desire there and aspiring to be there? And I think sometimes we can maybe have a sense of false humility. We don't want to seem overconfident and all that. But, you know, this is a good thing to desire. This is a good thing to aspire to. And, of course, you pursue that uh, in humility, uh, but just because someone really wants to be on there, of course people can have ill motives in really wanting to serve in that capacity. I want power, I want control, whatever. I mean, I think you're protected from having that with a plurality of elders, but we need to be able to locate that's a good thing to desire. That's a good thing to aspire to and to work hard for and and to fight for even. And so, you know... Look for a guy that's got a little bit of fire in him and wants to be on there. And um, it's a really high call to serve God's church in the office of elder. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. I know you just charged the men, but something I was talking to some friends about too is as women, are we encouraging our husbands to be like this? Or are we, you know, as far as like, you know, giving, are we encouraging our husbands to give? Or are we trying to get them to spend money on us or our house or our clothes or... And I think this is a good charge for women, too. Amen. That's good. Anyone else? All right. Are the, the ministers called teaching elders? Uh, only Dr. Young and Randy Carstens. So they wouldn't be the only ones at the... On the session. Okay. So uh, the Presbyterian form of government dis- makes distinction between teaching elders and ruling elders. Um and there would be generally on a staff, you know, you're going to have a number of ruling elders, laymen that are, that are serving in that role, and then teaching elders that are staff people, also elders on the session. Uh, Brent Wilkins is also an elder on the session, but he's not a voting elder. I would call him an elder, but, but, but he does attend all the sessions. Okay. He, he helps organize it and run it. Okay. He was on track and takes minutes and all yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mhm. Doctor Young doesn't vote, does he? I don't remember him voting. I think he tries to influence votes, but I don't think uh, I don't think that he votes. I don't think so. He's he's really good about letting the elders. Yes. Make those decisions and vote. He's going to give his spiel. He has an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So are they considered two of the, what will be 15? No, they are not two And then there's also, like, Bob Wood, who's not a voting elder. But So there's 20 men in that room. They're about, or there will be. Elder Emeritus, I think. Yeah. 
just, you know, you just need Bob around. <laughs> brings almost a hundred years of, of experience yeah. walking with God into that. Literally. He's How many years did the elders serve? Three years on and then one year off. Uh, and then they're up for re-election, but nothing's guaranteed. They have to be re-nominated and re-elected and all that. So well, one reason for staggering going from 12 to 13 was to keep the rotation so that one third, one of the elders roll off each year. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's good. I, again, that's not, that's just something, that's like a wisdom issue. They thought that's the best way. I think that's good. I think it, um, and certainly there have been men that are reelected over and again, but um, I like that. It is, it is demanding, and it is good to roll off and have a break. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is just for me, and you can say better, but as I look at, Jeff and some of the things you've been asked to do as an elder over the last, I mean, there's always these weekly zone meetings. So our session is broken up into different zones, like the discipleship zone, the worship zone, the evangelism zone, the administrative zone. And the zones are going to meet weekly so that the session doesn't have to meet weekly. The session meets monthly and they come and report as their zone. It's just kind of an efficient way to do things. You know, some of that is more business stuff. But a lot of that is very pastoral stuff. Um, a lot of that is getting in the nitty-gritty thick of some messes as pastor elders, and uh, you really got to have that, you know. Anyway, uh, finally, if you've listened to this today and all you can think about is how short you have fallen and how much of a failure you are, uh, I want you to hear me now. Uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we are made right with God by His grace, not because we fit the bill. Uh, We've been redeemed in Christ, and all of our sins have been paid for. So I think we should pray that God would let us rest in the forgiveness of our sins in Christ, and man or woman, uh, that that pray that He would give us grace to transform us uh, to be more and more like Christ. For all that this really is, is kind of a more uh, in-depth look at the person of Christ who is, uh, you know, perfect, the perfection of all that we're called to. All right, anybody else? Final thoughts or questions? It's really going to need more bald men on the session. That's right. <laughs> there are a lot of gray heads. If you ever notice when they're serving communion, it's pretty. So, all right. Have a good one.